This is the Hack the Future podcast, the human stories behind courage, purpose, and imagination. Join your host, Terrence Mowry, who will guide you on the journey of reimagining the world as we know it. How do leaders reimagine relevancy for a world of deep uncertainty and complex futures? And what are the mindsets, heart sets, and culture sets to help leaders harness uncertainty as a tailwind for renewal and reinvention? Today, I'm delighted to meet Dan Cable, who is Professor of Organizational Behavior at London Business School. Dan's research and teaching focuses on employee engagement, change, organizational culture, leadership mindsets, and the linkage between purpose and feeling more alive at work. Dan, great to hear your voice again. How are you today? Doing really well. We've got some sun here in London. What could I complain about? Ah, fantastic. Look, we're going to dive straight in today. There's yeah. a saying that change used to happen as a breeze. Now it feels like a Category 5 typhoon. What do you think of that? Well, I love that question. I love the question as to whether change really is coming faster and more furious. Mm. Uh, I have a feeling that if you lived in the 1930s, it would seem like change was outrageous because we were inventing you know, automobiles and telephones and stuff mm. like that. <laughs> But I have to tell you, in my own life of teaching change and like trying to help leaders deal with it better, Mm. it feels like we went from every 18 months to two years, we do a transformation to something that feels like the daily winds of adaptation. (laughs) Yes. And I I love that description. This uh, uh, an expression I came across recently was... uh, being in a perpetual state of beta and business models going off like yogurt in the fridge. (laughs) I'll take that. These metaphors just get better and better. So we're going to tackle this sort of tsunami of leadership issues head on today. And and so remote, hybrid, there's so much about that at the moment. From the research that you're involved in, from the work that you're doing, what are your sort of... By the way, I, I love your. I, I saw. I looked at some of your tweet, recent tweets, and one of them, which I really liked, was, "It's common sense, and and that's not common." That's and right. I wanted to ask you, just in terms of yeah. virtual, uh, this kind of shift to virtual, yeah. uh, hybrid, remote. W- what yeah. are some insights and steps for leaders to really unlock potential and help people thrive in that kind of new distributed operating environment? Yeah. Well, I can tell you what's not working. (laughs) What's not working are leaders that just put their head down, the sort of metaphorical head down, and we're kind of taking an attitude of, let's just get back to normal. Mm. Let's let's get everyone back in here and just try to become normal. So much. Uh, And and the idea of just not accepting that we've grown and mm. learned and proved that we don't need to work like you were in the 1910. Yes. You know, I, and, and I, I actually have evidence suggesting that um, in general, mm. engagement is down. So work engagement is mm. down. We surveyed 8,000 people across all 50 United States. Yes. And we found that it was down about whatever, 12%, 12% to 16%, depends on, we've, we've run three surveys now. Yes but not for everybody. So there are some companies, Microsoft, one example, Mm. where engagement is flourishing Mm. and it has a lot to do in the research, what has a lot to do with how the leaders are acting about growth mindset and learning during the epidemic. Yes. And, yeah. and this resonates because I came across a Gallup survey as well recently. I think it was called the 
performance or the productivity paradox, this idea that well-being and productivity have diverged Uh, and for many the like you say the well-being and engagement has actually gone down risk of burnout has gone up not for everybody though it's a a different narrative and a different story depending on the organization and the leader that's actually terence really an exciting point that you just made there and like the listeners ought to perk up their ears this isn't like a natural law and you just got to deal with it it's like how you deal with it makes your organization flourish or fail like it really matters how a leader gets his or her head on Mm. about what we can learn and how we can start to work in ways that serve us all better. Yes. But there's just so many 1950s thinkers out there. I'm dealing with some of them. I gave a big talk recently. Yes. And (laughs) it was one of these virtual ones. And before, and I'm meeting with the actual CEO of the whole firm. Mm -hmm. And he told me, don't act like this whole working from home remote thing is good. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, I'm just trying to get everybody back in the office as soon as possible, back to normal. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) Is this a generational divide? I think it is a male power divide as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know this, of course, but I think there's a lot of people that have been comfortable for 25 years yes. at the top of the pyramid, making their minions run around them. Mm. And now that they don't have that, it's just a feeling a little scary. <laughs> it's it's And it's letting go, isn't it? It's letting go of the, the sort of yes. all the, the hierarchical power, the status that goes with that. That's right. I used to do some research and I published some research on the idea of FaceTime. Mm-hmm. And then I interviewed just the idea of being at work, even if this is busy work, but being seen at work is a way to get to career success. Yes. And so I, I surveyed and then interviewed a bunch of leaders like, what's going on there? And so many of them, once they started really talking, said they don't really know what their job is if it's not like telling people what to do and seeing them and just seeing them literally seeing them in the seats makes them feel good Mm. a lot of them talked about how it just makes them feel comforted to be able to look out and see the people (laughs) yes i I mean this segues really nicely into purpose purpose being this kind of source code for meaning and impact and contribution and in your fantastic book alive at work the neuroscience of helping your people to love what they do can you share some of those sort of practical yeah. takeaways for our listeners? Yeah, I'm going to thank you, Terrence, for that intro. I want to both share and um, kind of like some concepts, mm. but then I also just want to share a piece of research I'm doing right now right. with a postdoc here named Laura Georg. Um, but let me tell you, from a conceptual perspective, there seems to be three ways. And there's more, I'm sure, but yes. there's three ways that light up a part of our brain that releases some dopamine. Mm. <laughs> and, you know, dopamine's a real drug. That's the thing. It's yeah. free. It's legal. It, it, it's available. <laughs> if we can figure out a way to, like, activate some of that dopamine and get people feeling more yes. alive we've we've won something in my mind we've already won something because it means that life is feeling better work is feeling better and i mean that's the uh, essence isn't it it's, you know yes. i came across a stat that if we're lucky we get about 960 months to live on the planet which is 80 years of age yeah. and you know if we're just sleepwalking in life and at work it's what a yes. what a what a waste you and I speak the same language, Terrence. It's, it, yes, this, this sort of meta issue is if we can make work feel a little bit more like real life, we are winning because that's real life that we're reclaiming. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I love it, Terrence. Yes. In the, in, your, in the book, Alive at Work, you write about Italian factory workers. They reduce their anxiety by playing with Lego. 
Shall I talk about that a little bit? Yeah, tell me a bit more about that. Well, what that really was is this Lego serious play, and it's a real deal. Like, if you do some research, there are actual articles written in scientific journals about how play activates this part of the brain. And the word play, it's not just, like, messing around and wasting time. Mm. It's the idea of a safe space in which to explore and learn. If you just think of it that way, then it doesn't sound so goofy. Yes. But the point is you create these spaces, these playgrounds, these sandboxes. And in this case, there were manufacturing employers that were making white goods like refrigerators and stuff. And they needed to be able to move toward a lean manufacturing where they're doing like pool manufacturing and not push manufacturing. And they also needed to be able to get these employees ideas and have them stop acting like robots that are like just following orders Mm. and start giving ideas and suggestions for improving stuff. Mm. But anyway, there were three lines and Mm. they just shut one of them down and took them off site for a week. And they basically taught them the principles of lean, Mm. like intellectually. Yes. But then they let them play with Legos and build trucks in an assembly line, but using the principles. Mm, I love that. And then after four days of doing that, it was quite you know, quite immersive. I mean, they were laughing and having a great time and so on, but they also were actively learning and they were, they were, they were quote, working hard, unquote, yes. at play. What happened is they then said, now how would you apply those principles that we've helped you understand? How would you apply those to making white goods? Mm. And then they, the workers themselves, took the principles and wove them into the actual work. Mm. Anyway, the long story short is mm. it totally was effective because not only did the workers feel more lit, mm. all of a sudden you had less defects, less escapes. You had more good ideas coming out of the workforce, but mm. you weren't spending more money. Mm. You weren't paying more salary. You were getting more. And it was such a win-win. This is so close to my heart, this idea that we need to move from just scaling efficiency and doing things right to scaling yeah, intelligence and imagination and courage to think differently and this this sort of um you know i met john lindley who um he's the entrepreneur behind ella kitchens the baby food mm. company mm-hmm. and he t- his book is called the huge power of thinking like a kid and mm. he talks about mm. the power of play the power of peers the power of projects the power of purpose and i think you know in this kind of hybrid environment this unbossed environment uh, yeah. flatter actually these these drivers of pl- play and experimentation they're actually actually at the center of unlocking human potential yes it's so let me tell you another thing i'm mm. working on right now so there's um an organization i think i can mention it because they yeah. did well it's called upfield i don't know if you've heard of them they mm. they're a, sh- a shoot off of like unilever and they do like yes. bear- dairy products and butter and stuff anyway they were having a lot of trouble during lockdown because people were starting to get really burnt out and they were feeling like they were on all the time mm. but not doing their best work too much busy work and not enough important That's work such a big challenge for everybody so what we did is on a Monday, this is a six week experiment, randomly yes. assigned a bunch of people where on a Monday they'd spend 30 minutes literally just opening up their calendar and saying, what's the important work and what's the urgent work this week? Mm-hmm. And every day of Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, they blocked two hours for important work, for deep work, yes. for the setting where you bring your best and do the thing that you think you're best at doing. Yes. <laughs> Now, the leaders, a lot of them who love the study and concept, they kind of got nervous when they like, they shut off their emails, they shut off their texts, you know, they like, they went deep. They, yes. they actually, but 
most of the leaders let them do it. There were some growing pains. I'm not going to act like this was simple. I'm not going to act like no, yes. no issues. But at the end of the six weeks, those employees were statistically significantly less burnout. Mm -hmm. And they felt as though they were delivering much more work, much more good work to the company. And now we're replicating that um, with a company called Randstad um, yes. up in the Netherlands. But the point being is like, this is a good piece of research. This is a piece of science with random assignment condition and we're using these test trials. And I'm telling you, mm -hmm. these new ways of working where you offer a lot more trust and you, you're basically saying to people, we trust that you know what the right stuff is to be doing. Let us get out of your way and let you do it. The, On average, yes. that can work. This is so. This is so relevant right now, and for our listeners' benefit, where could they find out more information about that piece of research? That's a great question. Um, my colleague Laura Gierg, uh wrote an HBR mm -hmm. on this concept, and even while we're talking right now, I'll find a little more about that. Thank you. Um, that wasn't um, this study that we're doing. We're, it's 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 quite a bit more. Um, I don't know what you'd call it, scientific? Yes. <laughs> that was a kind of a pilot. And this one's going to be a lot more heavy handed, like with the methodology and the random assignment to condition. Yes. And we're going to replicate it. But so it's not out yet. We're still okay. doing that work. Excellent. But, you know, Terrence, it's so on point with our conversation exactly. that I just couldn't, I could not mention it. <laughs> it's, and it actually um, resonates with me. Cal Newport at MIT, yes. his yes. work around deep work and shallow work. That's a, that's a great bit of study. And, uh, and and a book as well for our listeners yeah. to to check out and you know this idea that the complexity of the world has outstripped the complexity of the mind and I wanted to ask you your second book which I loved as well exceptional uh, it's yeah. called exceptional build your personal highlight reel and unlock your potential you talk about a three-step process to activate that could you share you know with our listeners some of the big practical takeaways from that book yeah, thank you. Thanks for that lead in again. And by the way, for, to, to finish up that other thought, yes. there's a publication called Getting Your Team to Do More Than Meet Deadlines. And Gosh. that is an HBR on the website. Folks can go. And her name is Laura Gierg. So Fantastic. you can kind of go and check that out. But okay, so let's move on to, thank you so much for the intro to the second oh, book. Exceptional was my attempt to build a book for everyone. <laughs> it's not a leadership book. It's a way to say, how do we figure out what we're best at doing and then do that more often? What a great so question. It really is. I have to say for, for me too, it's so easy to get caught in a sort of a loop where the groove of 10 years ago has become a rut. Mm. And we're sort of like, I, I'm gonna speak for me, yes. kind of going through the motions and mailing it in. And you, it's so <laughs> easy to fall in yes. that kind of, uh, that sort of law of atrophy. Yes. Mm. Anyway, the book is about how is it that we can learn in a pretty new way about ourselves at our best. Yes. And, um, you know, the way that I really recommend it is that you give to get. So first off, you write down memories of people in your life that matter to you. You write down memories of when they've been their best, times that you've seen them flourishing and delivering what they are capable of. And yes. you write it down as a story. You write it down like, here's this memory of a time I saw you doing this, and here's what here's what you affected. Yes. And then you expressive writing. Bingo. Almost like some of the methodologists from psychoanalysis. And some of this, um, there's a there's a, a fellow named um on his name, Pennebaker. It's James Pennebaker. Yes. He's at the University of Texas and has a whole stream of research on the power of this expressive writing. Mm. 
And then there's a whole set of research studies showing that if you give gratitude this way and you tell people, here's why you matter to me, here are the gifts that I appreciate in you, it not only makes us feel better in writing it and sending it, it makes them glow. It makes the relationship stronger. Yes. And so I, that's step one is you sort yes. of give to get, you give that and then you send it to them and you say, I'd love to hear times that you might've seen me at my best. Yes. And what you end up doing is building a personal highlight reel. I mean, I've done whatever, 65 of these things, but the idea of learning from people what they've seen you do that yes. really moved the needle, mm -hmm. it often is like, um, a, a, like a left-handed punch or something. It comes from nowhere sometimes because sometimes what we're doing is so, um, I'm gonna use the word easy for us or natural yes. for us. So we don't think it's a big deal. Yes. But then other people are like, no, no, that is totally you. That is such a big deal. Nobody else does that. You know, it's it, again, I think with the anxiety, you know, I think it's around you know, three out of five people are worried about you know, automation of jobs or part of their jobs. We've yep. got the race to reskill. We've got risk of burnout. You know, a, a couple of years ago, I had the pleasure of visiting Kenya and I discovered this word Ubuntu, Ubuntu. Oh. And it means I am because we are. I am because we are. Wow. And this idea of sharing gratitude and recognition and uh, tapping onto the collective wisdom of we, and this idea of leadership being about we, not me, that resonates so much from, from your book. And yeah, what do you think? Well, I love the concept. I just wrote it down. <laughs> I am because we are. I mean, I got to give that some good thought. I, what I love about that, and I know that's not the whole point of our discussion, yes. but what I love about that is it really shows how in the West we tend to be very individualistic without mm -hmm. trying. It's just part of our deep assumptive you know, culture. Yes. We see ourselves as the sort of the moving force. And then there's an environment that we move through, social environment and physical environment. But that isn't the only way at all. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Another way of thinking of it is it's far too linear, narrow, yes. mechanistic. It's so narrow. And it feels right when you grew up that way because it's the only way of thinking. But when you do interact with these cultures, it says it is really just a matter of us, and you're kind of more like a cell in a body. Yes. You're less like a body. You're more like a cell in the body, which is this society. <laughs> Yes. It does it's, change the way you think about self, doesn't it? It's so it's it's so true. And I think this idea as well of dealing with uncertainty. I wanted to tap your wisdom because everybody's talking about uncertainty and of course uncertainty has always been there and this uncertainty paradox this idea that actually our brains are hardwired to dislike uncertainty therefore we tend to avoid it but actually it's the number one driver of fear and doubt but it can also okay. be the number one driver of renewal and reinvention That's and i wanted right. to get your take on yeah. what our listeners can do to harness uncertainty yeah. in these volatile times as a as a tailwind rather than and reject this false constraint yeah. that it's just yeah. a headwind that happens to us well I love this topic, Terrence, and it's uh, it's a real deep one for Big me one. because what it here. Let me let me give you the summary, and then maybe we can Thank dig you. into the finer points. The summary, as far as I can tell, is that the human body does better with stress 
that stress is a friend. And there's really good books on this. Like there's a book um, by Kelly McGonigal that's called The Upside of Stress. If you want like some yes. data and some facts, I mean, it's good for our physical health. It's good for our mental health. One of the worst things you can do, for example, is retire and like get rid of all the stress. <laughs> that's not good for us at all. Okay, that's, that's just completely blown my retirement plans out of the water, Dan. <laughs> so anyway, stress is good. Yeah. It's when we interpret it as a threat, mm. whenever we're worried about it, whenever we we forget that we have resources to address it, whenever it feels like it's being done to us. Yes. And let's face it, a lot of change yes. initiatives are you know, it feels like change is done yeah. to people. That's it. That's it. And and there's a lot to be said about this, but at the top level if it's possible to think about change as a natural part of life that is stressful, but the whole point of life is to deal with that. It's the point of life is to say, I have resources and a mind yes. that will allow me to thrive or at least survive this. Yes. So let's let's see what we can learn. You know, let's it's almost like a growth mindset thing here, Terrence. It's almost yeah. like a way of saying, instead of trying to not lose let me look to see what i can learn and what i can gain mm. and i'm not going to say that works every single time but i will say that you know it it flips a switch in the brain yes and if you can do it you end up surfing it instead mm. of being thrown under the waves by it <laughs> when you cast the net out and, and look at different organizations out there, whether they're startups or Fortune yeah. 500s or FTSE 100s, are there any that sort of stand out for you as organizations yeah. that are reimagining re relevancy for tomorrow's world? I'm excited about this. Now, I want to say for all of anybody listening, I don't think I know. You know I'm going to start with a lot of humility here. I, I only work with whatever. 30 companies or 40 companies. It's not like I know, yes. but let me just tell you some of the things I've learned. I know Microsoft right now, um, the, the individual country managers, country leaders I'm working with, they are definitely thinking differently and they're, they're reimagining things about like, they're kind of re trying to, I believe, reimagine like how work gets done yes. and what they provide. Like literally what they do is yeah. so radically so really shining a spotlight and, and I guess scrutinizing, you know, what, you know, in terms of that renew, you know, what do we need to renew and reinvent, yeah. but also what do we need to kill off? Yes. And I mean, it adds to that. It doesn't, yes. this is not a, uh, uh, it, it's the case of this growth mindset thing, starting at yeah. the top with the senior leaders saying, we're not sure. Let's see what we can learn together. And that is so different from these, old school organizations where the senior leaders think they need to figure it all out and then download it to everybody. An expectation <laughs> that we have to know it all. Yes. 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 Um, another one that I had a lot I of fun that. with recently is Unilever. Yes. They're trying to do like a lot of digital stuff and they invited me and a colleague over to like look at their digital marketing sprints that they're running. Yes. And in, in, on the one end, it, was, it seemed kind of lawless and chaotic and like, mm people did not have your goals and smart goals and you know the, you hit the metric and then you it was more like a bunch of people that were really excited mm -hmm. were doing these little sprints some of them were like one week sprints or three week sprints mm -hmm. and they were accomplishing more than the senior leaders thought they would accomplish in a year Interesting. It, it, there was so much buzz and excitement and mm -hmm. you know the team meetings were full of laughter and like um, stress, but like that kind of good stress I was talking about. They're working their asses off. Yes. Truly, 
They are, they are working their asses off, but the way they're doing it is like, look at what we can do. Look at what we can learn. Look how we can transform. Mm. And I mean, I was excited just being there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it literally is contagious in a positive yes. sense. And it echoes yes. Satya Nadella's uh, mantra of be a, be a learner, not a knower. And I wanted to ask you, it seems to me that the growth mindset is a great catalyst and a way of harnessing uncertainty as a tailwind and what what are some sort of simple steps or actions for you know our listeners whether they're a ceo or a head of a business yeah. or even somebody starting out what yeah. can they do to scale and activate and sustain yeah. a growth mindset yeah there's well let me tell you the thing that works best for me and there is some evidence on this mm -hmm. these little phrases of self-talk yes. matter so much so for example when you're trying something new, like when I started doing my digital talks, Terrence, they yeah. sucked. I mean, if I'm honest, I, I'm, I'm the I, kind of person that emotes and I like to be in the room feeling the emotions. Mm. When I went to Pure Digital, I'm talking into a screen, I can see like one inch by one inch thumbnails of faces. <laughs> It just sucked. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, you know, the, mean, the, the, the cat filter and you know, I, I'm, I'm completely with you on that journey. Yes. So what happens is you have to start having little ways of talking to yourself. Like um, one of the things that works is to say, listen, the brain is a muscle and it gets better when you practice. It, just like a bicep. If you're doing pull-ups, you got to do a lot of pull-ups and then it starts to work. Yes. And um, that helps because it reminds us that neuroplasticity, the, the ability of our brain to help us, mm. it's not like a light switch. It, you, to do a pull-up, you have to try a lot of pull-ups and then the brain figures out and the body figures out, oh, he really needs to do this. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then it adapts, but it takes, you have to struggle with it for a while. Yes. Now listen, somebody like me, if I don't remember that the brain is a muscle, mm. and if I don't remember that in life, everything's hard until it gets easy, yeah. <laughs> you have to talk yourself through that struggle. Mm. And we all are there. It's not just the workers. Each one of us that's dealing with this tsunami of change, mm. we, we have to have a way of talking ourselves through that. And, you know, Terrence, I'm going to say one more thing, and yes. this is just totally personal. I sometimes think of it as like going out running. Mm -hmm. I'm quite into like getting a little exercise every day. Yes. And so some days I go out for a run to the top of um, Parliament Hill and it hurts. <laughs> if I'm honest, I hate it's it. Not that, Dad, it's not that big. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it, Terrence. But the thing is- It's a mound. It's not a hill. It's a, it's a mound. <laughs> it's a mound. It, it's, it's a molehill. Yeah. <laughs> well, I got to tell you though, I have to talk myself through it because I want to stop the whole time. My heart rate hurts yeah. and I just don't like it. But what you have to do is like, I just say to myself, this is the good stuff. Right now, this bit of pain, yes. this means it's kind of working. Like if it doesn't hurt a little bit like this, I'm not really growing new muscle. Yes. And I try to apply that same thinking mm. into like stuff I have to learn from my job. <laughs> it's a, it, there's a great concept actually for our listeners uh, from Finland, the word called Sisu or Sisu. Uh, it's like Viking mm -hmm. spirit. It's mm -hmm. an alchemy of courage and grit and resilience. But also this idea that we, we often focus a lot on thinking and learning, but we our blind spot is rethinking and unlearning. And this idea that we can almost you know, catalyze growth by unlearning faster yep. and what yeah. are your thoughts around that this idea that you know unlearning has become almost a superpower absolutely well i'm reading adam grant's book on this topic right, right now which yes. you probably have also read and i'm loving how the evidence 
Okay, it's two things. Number one, the evidence seems to be really clear and it's well presented in this book. But number two is it seems like now's the time to think about unlearning as a skill. And to me, that's actually a very strong insight. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that if you went back to the 80s and you said things like, the most important thing is to be able to forget what you know and think like a a child brain, I think people would have thrown up on you. I'm just trying to imagine like, you know, a film such as Oliver Stone's Wall Street. So, you know, that that quote, it just just would not work, would it? Wouldn't work. Here's another thing that wouldn't work. Fell fast, learn faster. You in the 1980s, you couldn't say fell fast and like keep your job. I think I think the saying was greed is good. Yes, yes. Mm. So I just think that the world, thankfully, yes. is shifting toward how do we thrive sustainably as opposed to like how do we burn ourselves out so we can keep it's so, <laughs> so true. We can, it's so yeah. true. We're reaching the final five minutes and I'm loving this conversation. And Thanks. I wanted our listeners to hear a little bit about your incredible, energizing, squeezing the orange podcast, which Fabulous. you do with uh, the amazing Akin Omobotin. Yeah, and it is so much fun. Tell me, t- you know, tell me more about. I know, I know, I've actually, we've actually uh, done a recording ourselves on that. Tell That's our listeners right. about squeezing the orange podcast. Well, I'll tell you what I love, folks, is taking the social science and squeezing it for the implications and the joy. Like, there's this really great research literature about how human beings navigate reality. Mm. But to read it hurts. And the methodologies and the statistics and the analyses, I mean, it just about puts people to sleep. So nobody <laughs> touches that stuff yeah. unless like Malcolm Gladwell writes about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, there are people that are really good at that. Yeah. What my friend um, Akin and I have done is we read the an article, an actual empirical article with multiple studies and good methodology. Mm. And then we just kick it. We, we just and like you really do have a laugh and I, I and some of the topic i mean some of the topics that i've loved you know do organizations distort the value of favors attention why do some thrive in it while others struggle and one of my favorites more recently do side hustles empower or distract that's it that's it, man. I mean, we love that stuff. And I, I do genuinely believe that the implications that come out of this science are believable, robust, replicated. But if nobody knows about it, it feels like such a waste of our effort. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hundreds of us slaving away and basically producing stuff that nobody reads. I mean, it's because it's, it is it is detailed. But gosh, you know, when I received the research, research paper from yourselves, yeah. by Go, you know, by actually doing the deep focus, it, it becomes so insightful. And if everybody's aligned on that, you can really make breakthroughs. Yeah. So thanks for bringing that up there, Terrence. That's really yeah, a joy. Pleasure. And if if more people would, um, you know, maybe listen to our podcast and so on, but also just like be aware that we are studying these really hard things that leaders today are dealing with. Mm-hmm. You know, for instance, one of the episodes is about making our brains work better by acting excited instead of anxious yes that you literally can self prime or cue your own self mm-hmm. just to remember that that excited is an option yes Mm-hmm. Our goal today was to give our listeners some really practical energizing calls to action and so that my final question is what are some final next step actions for our listeners to think about today to energize themselves energize their teams and energize their businesses yeah 
Well, I'm going to say the easiest, lowest cost thing you could do would be to write your own narratives, your own highlights of when you feel like you've been at your best. This yes. is something, honestly, it's expressive writing. You can do it in about 15 minutes. You can do it tonight. Open up a Word document or grab a tablet and just write a story, a memory of a time that you were thriving, when you were in flow. You know, what were you doing? What was the behavior? Who was around you? What did you contribute? And relive it. Yes. And if you are able to create three, four, five of those, you are beginning a highlight reel of what you're capable of. And then you're able to start crafting your world to get there a little more often. Yes. And Terrence, for me, that that idea pays off. It's evidence based. I mean, it it works. There's so many it's studies. It's such show. an elegantly simple, low effort, low cost hack to yeah. elevate your your potential, your clarity of thinking. Okay. Uh, so I, you know, I absolutely love that. Dan Cable, professor of organizational behavior at London Business School. Um, that was a joy. Thank you, Terry. <laughs> thank you so much. Today we learned that the only certainty is uncertainty. The world is more turbulent, less predictable, more autonomous, less controllable, more varied, less simple, more infinite, less knowable, and more challenging than we could have ever imagined. It doesn't help that we're hardwired to dislike uncertainty. It makes us feel anxious and uncomfortable, so we avoid it. But avoiding uncertainty is getting harder as the pace of change increases. Here's a surprising truth. Uncertainty is the number one driver of fear and doubt, but it's also the number one driver of learning and discovery. It all depends on how you choose to embrace it. <laughs>